Hi, this is Chris. And uh, I think I'm John. And you're probably listening to the Nerdy Dadcast. about a month i mean eh, when i was counting the days a little bit less than a month but i mean this episode goes live it'll be it'll be approximately four weeks since the the last one um which is better than the previous one where we had gone like two months or three months it was quite some time so we're, we're trending in the right direction but in fairness a lot has happened since our, our last episode for instance halloween it's true halloween happened um there's been other more uh Sort of earth shape earth shattering things that has happened i mean the vancouver canucks won a game is that is that what you're referring to that is what i was referring to because i don't really follow hockey all that closely anymore just to notice that the current canucks team is what the worst in the last 25 years or something like that that's what i hear something like that okay anyways yeah this is a canucks podcast yeah uh that's that's my one of my other shows i'm on that note i'm taking us completely like off the, the rails <laughs> here and then some I'm actually going to my first uh, hockey game, and I don't know how long. Wow! And I'm so I don't know if we've talked about this because obviously it's been a while. Um, so a mutual friend of ours, she reaches out to me, says, "Hey, and this is before the season started. Do you want to go to a, a hockey game with me?" And I'm like, oh, "Okay, sure." And at the time, it was like you know half capacity, and I'm like, oh, "Okay, you know what? I I'd like to sort of." almost test my threshold because I I've lived a very sheltered life uh, for the, the duration of this pandemic. And I've, I've not gone to events that I would normally go to because there's a lot of people. So I'm thinking, okay, half capacity. It's going with, you know, someone I haven't seen in a long time, even prior to the pandemic. Let's do this. And, uh, never occurred to me that they were selling tickets at the time for a full house. Like this was before, they had, you know, been approved to have more than half capacity. So it's as if the Vancouver Canucks were in the know, because I can't imagine how they would have dealt with the half capacity issue if they had actually oversold the building. But uh, I didn't know this. I committed to it. And uh, and then they announced full capacity. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of given me the, you know, shivers. And then I've watched some, some games on TV and the number of people who are really taking this whole thing about keeping your mask on seriously are not many, not the ones they're showing on camera. Yeah. Okay. Right. Like I I just, I'm, I'm very apprehensive. I'm anxious. And and yet here I am, I'm going this, this weekend. So I I live in a town now with about 400 people and uh, I don't, Recall, I guess I saw the, we go to the post office every day and then I see someone at the post office. But other than that, I don't really see what 20,356 people, I think it is, they fit a GM place or Rogers Arena, which is what these days, Rogers Arena, sorry. And yeah, I don't, I don't know that I can handle that. I really don't think that would be something like we even saw like concerts coming back to town or concerts coming to Seattle. Mm -hmm. And we thought, hey. Maybe, you know, this concert of in May next year, maybe we could go to that. And I don't even know that we feel, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm really interested to hear how your experience goes and, um, and yeah, cause that'll be quite the experience. It, it definitely, like that's the apprehensive, like, and, and I mean, as you know, I am a, a season ticket holder for the Vancouver Whitecaps. They play in what is arguably an open air stadium. I mean, it's loose because it's just a hole in the top they open up. 
they have been, uh, ha- they've had many matches where the capacity has been, you know, limited. Their last home match wasn't full house, but I have turned down opportunities. Like I've deferred my tickets until next season because I'm like, I just, I just don't want to be in the presence of people that I don't know on a whole lot of them doing things that I'm not entirely sure really align with the rules that we are being asked to follow because as people, um, we are all honorable people who do the right thing when given the, the opportunity to do so. And here I am going to the Vancouver Canucks game where again, those who they put on camera apparently don't need to wear masks or they're nursing that one $20 sleeve of Budweiser or whatever cheap beer they've gotten quote unquote cheap, not so much the price for an entire game because those masks never come back up. So just for our listeners, then um, next episode, we will follow up on this or I will be doing a little episode solo. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Either way, we'll, we'll learn how the experience was. Um, speaking of, about the honor system, we'll get into that a little bit uh, later. Um, but it's been an interesting time uh, for us here on the, the West Coast. Um I mean, it's been an interesting time for people worldwide, but specifically for for those of us in the Pacific Northwest, uh, we have encountered all sorts of different weather phenomena this year. Uh, we had uh, heat so significant that I learned that there is a term called a heat dome in the summer. I mean, we talked about how hot it got in uh, some of our summer episodes. Um, the town of Lytton uh, was not only setting records, but days later being, you know, burnt off the the literal map. Uh, due to wildfire. We then come into our, our storm season where we get a lot of rain and that's not so unusual, but now there are terms such as atmospheric uh, rivers. And what was the other one? Bomb cyclones, I think was, was that the, the, the other term that we've, we've had a bomb cyclone or something where essentially significant weather events. I have never seen anything more than a water spout locally. We had a bloody tornado, like legit tornado less lowest class. If you yeah, I looked that one up on YouTube. That's quite the sight to see. Um, yeah. And then just the lessons that come with it. It's, it's incredible. I mean, our, some of the most fertile land in the lower mainland is now completely underwater and which it once was, which it once was. And I didn't know that actually I lived in that area all my life. I was born there and uh, I had no idea that that was once a lake and it turns out it was, and now it has returned to its lake form. So, so yeah, these uh, events that um, suddenly it's, it's really weird because I get family from all over the world just suddenly emailing or messaging or saying, Hey, are you all right? And it's not because I'm anywhere near these things right now. I'm not, but it's just because this news about BC is going all over the world worldwide. And, you know, suddenly, and, and yeah, it's, it's really, it makes you just kind of sit there and go, well, what's, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And, and how, how much does it cost to repair? What is, and how do you repair it without just knowing it'll happen again? So yeah, that's yeah. pretty insane times. Yeah. Again, for, for those of you who, who may not be aware, I, I, I'd honestly sort of wonder if that was even possible because it has been such huge news internationally. Cause yeah, it's your point where people are asking you, are you all right? In, in my company, the moment someone learns that I'm from Vancouver, Oh, Oh my goodness. Are you okay? Are you at home? Like, I mean, it, it, it must be being broadcast that the entire area of Metro Vancouver is 
currently under deluge. It's not, but significant portions of it, and as you go into the interior, have been. But we had a a, a storm, uh, this atmospheric river, which is essentially what I grew up learning was the Pineapple Express. Essentially, hot, humid air comes up from the tropics, Hawaii, hits the jet stream, comes straight towards us here in the Pacific Northwest. It's what keeps our winters mild. Um, that's why we don't get as much snow, but it brings rain. That's, I've known this for as long as I've been around, but apparently the amplified version is the atmospheric river where now it's not just hot, humid air. There is so much, uh, humidity and so much liquid in this sort of whatever system that when it reaches land and it starts to fall in the form of rain, it comes down and then some like the, I think it was the city of, or town of hope. I don't think, I think hope, hope is a town. Um, they had a month's worth of rain and we're talking about like a month, not just like, Oh, they had July rain in November. No, they had November's rain in one day, not accounting for the rest of the month that they've had rain so far. Yeah. And then you add logging of the area to, to it and also the wildfires. And so it just sort of piles up and the ground is no longer stable. And when that happens, then suddenly water doesn't have a place to go. And when it, or it does, it goes wherever it wants to go. So, yeah. and so the things like this happen. And uh, so, yeah, this has been pretty, pretty crazy. I mean, I know when we were looking for houses, we thought about moving to hope at one point. And we, I remember looking at one and we said, Oh, you know, it's really close to the river. That'd be really cool. And uh, yeah, it turns out that wouldn't have been really cool. And I'm glad we didn't go there, but a lot of people are really suffering and a lot of people have their, their lives and their livelihoods. Yeah, their lives. I mean, we've, I think it's been six people that have died so far, just in rivers coming down and sweeping them over, sweeping over them. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, sort of the events that we're seeing like the, and I, I guess I say unbelievable because, you know, I've seen storms. I mean, I'm not a young kid, equally not an old granddad, but I've never seen one to the significant. And while we've seen flooding, flooding has never been this bad. Yes. It may have been a combination of different things, but if there's something that I'm taking from the constant string of weather events that we've been seeing over the course of this year, just locally, but what we've been seeing around the world is that there is a shift in climate. I mean, it's, it's undeniable that the way things once were is not the way things are today. And so when you have, you know, an area such as the Sumas Prairie, as it's called now, it's an area just sort of east of me, very much west of you into the Fraser Valley. Um, that was the area that was once a lake, Sumas Lake. I never knew it was a lake before until this happened. And what's happened is essentially so much water has fallen that the uh, mitigation systems, the diking, uh, that was put into place. The pump stations weren't sufficient to keep up the demand. And then you had significant overflow from south of the border. So the much of the water that's in this, this area has f- come from a river that is not all that close to the U.S.-Canada border. But again, so much water f- fell that it went downhill. And the this pump station that was at risk of failure it's currently running and the community sort of came around to 
to shore it up, to prevent it from failing. Um, if it were to shut down in two days, the lake's back. Like that would be a significant amount of land and you've got a lake. It took them months to drain the lake when they first chose to do so. And while I can appreciate that it provided extremely fertile land, I kind of wonder if, you know, the powers that be then and right up to the powers that be today really ever understood the what if, or if they did look at the what if, was it the, eh, that it, it will cross that bridge when we get to it, which you can't because it got washed out. It's true. There's no more crossing those bridges. Yeah. I mean, from a parenting standpoint, I mean, I look at this and just think, you know, we've had the discussion before where even bringing ch- children into this world 10 years ago was something you had to think about and have to be like, is that really something I want to do? You know, is, is it fair to bring some kids into this world when we know all these problems are happening and all these things could potentially happen? And at that point, even we didn't know how fast things were going to move forward. Things are obviously moving forward a lot faster than anyone except for the scientists, scientists may be predicted. And, uh, and yeah, so it's, it's really, it's hard from that point because, you know, our kids are going to have to go through this changing world. That's just going to be so intense and things, our fire seasons, our water seasons, all these things will keep getting more intense. And I mean, honestly, I, we've had that conversation and I always say they're actually the only thing that make, keep me going. I can see in their face, the intelligence and the hope and the ideas that they can do something, but you know, we gotta, we've got to learn lessons and people don't want to learn lessons. Well, you know, it, the, the learning of lessons is a difficult thing simply because we, I think is, is just a culture and I'm very much generalizing here. We look with what's in front of us almost to the immediacy of what we see and not very much beyond. We, I think, look back and learn from the past but I think we often discount some of the struggles that generations past may have gone through or things that may have, you know, been better understood that tribal, you know, understanding is lost. I, I think we, we might have talked about an episode, but I mean, it's not so much, you know, present to the, the point that we're trying to raise about sort of climate change and sort of the world we're leaving for our kids. But my first house was built in an area of Vancouver where essentially those who built there covered up uh, under essentially a creek because it was a series of like creeks and small little rivers and waterways. And what they did is they filled these things up. Well, the water was there for a reason, you know, time went on and the water, like these creeks didn't just like, Oh, well let's form. But what happened is when it rained significantly, the water was still present. The water table were to rise and some of these older homes, well, the basements flooded. Now, those who built the houses didn't go and sort of mitigate the fact that, okay, maybe we shouldn't build basements, but they took the step to say, okay, it's going to flood. So here's what we're going to do in the construction process to allow for that water when it does arrive, not to completely ruin a house and then drain, go somewhere. When we sold that house, the new people knocked it down, built a new one. That new one did not appreciate the fact that there was once this underground Creek and what happened? The first big rainfall, the house was ruined so significantly they had to tear it down. And I think, you know, a very small example, but now we think about in the broader sense, like the, the Sumas Prairie, Sumas Lake, 
I'm just under learning that the, the city of Abbotsford had actually looked at the, what if scenario if like the Nooksack river were to overflow and what might that, ha- what might happen? So they'd done the study, they'd done some research and it carried with it like, Hey, here's what it's going to cost to mitigate many of these problems. And it was like, well, we just can't afford it. Well, I mean, not to suggest that the work would have been done, but if we can't afford it today, what we're essentially suggesting is that we're going to put it off onto our kids where it will be more expensive for them to deal with if it's something that they can deal with. Like, and that's the part that I, I think kind of messes with me. I don't want to put anything onto my kids to go and do. I want to, you know, we talk about this. We want the world to be at a better place. We want them to be the generation that makes it better, but we need to go and do our part. And yet, Hey, you know, we can't, we can't afford to do that today. We can't take, you know, environmental stewardship seriously. Yep. Have a moment of silence for environmental stewardship now, but yeah. Um, I think we just depressed ourselves. Yeah. I, it's a, it's a, it's a complex topic, but one of the things that like, and I, I, you know what, I'm, I'll admit I'm part of the problem because if you were to ask me like, well, you know, what are your thoughts on this or that I'm of the mind that, okay, the flipping of the switch, the cutting things off tomorrow isn't possible. It might be necessary but I don't necessarily see it as possible. But what I would like to see is, is transitions. So like, you know, uh, right now in the Metro Vancouver, essentially they're hit by the weather. And one of the reasons why it's not these weather, it was so significant is the flooding, um, the fact that lives were lost, but functionally Metro Vancouver was physically cut off from the rest of the country. All highways into this area were washed out or, um, covered in, in mud and debris. And as a result, the government has had to put into effect some restrictions on, on the consumption of fuel, um, enforced by the honor system, because we, as people are very honorable, we all follow the rules. No one is rushing to the gas station to fill their, their vehicle up in 12 can, you know, jerry cans or whatever it is. No, no, that's not happening. But there are some who are like, Oh, we need to stop. Like, Fossil fuels, get rid of them today. Well, that'd be great. Let's do that. But then like vehicles do need to be driven. Like I know you have an EV. I'd like to get one. I, even if I had all the money in the world right now, I don't think I could get one because the, the supply doesn't exist. Like we're, we're at this weird, this inflection point where, okay, to make this happen, you you know, let's, this is what needs to be prioritized. The money needs to be put in there. The resources need to be put in there to, to transition. You can't simply say, Oh, go do it. Or we'll reward you to go and do it. But at the same time, not have the accessibility component. So that's where I'm like, okay, we need this sort of blended approach, but there needs to be like, I'm a big fan of, Hey, these cars uh, starting in this period of time are going to carry with it a, a tax it's a choice that you get to make and you, you ultimately use that tax because again, you can trust the government to use the money the right way to then fund, you know, that transitional experience to put into place technology so that if you're driving an EV, you're not having to plan your trip from 
plug to plug, right? Like I, I feel that it needs to be more accessible. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing. I mean, I was reading an article on that earlier today where in Norway, they want to get up to a hundred percent of their vehicles EV and they're actually, they have the highest subsidies in the world and they're up to like 83% now. But what they've found is that so many of the gas taxes and things that they got off of fuel, their, their, their revenues are now 19 billion krone short every year because they're no longer getting these gas taxes. So now they're, and also in Norway, they gave like bonuses. Like if you had an EV, you didn't have to pay for tolls. If you had an EV, you didn't have to pay for this and that. And now they're sort of saying, oh, suddenly we're $19 billion short. Now it worked really well in that all these people are off of diesel cars, but now suddenly we can't pay for all this stuff because, so yeah, now they're suddenly saying, okay, well, we need to start taxing EVs and doing this and doing that. And so, yeah, it's a very complex problem and there is no exact direct route on it, but as an EV owner, we do love our EV and we have a road trip coming up for for personal reasons, but um, yeah, we actually have to very much look at that this time. We have a very good range, but this time, because it's kind of a long trip, we have to look very closely and say, okay, where's the charger? Where's the charger? Where's the charger? Yeah. Well, and on not only that, the route to which you go, which of which you don't have a whole lot of choice. Not right now, no. Right? You're like, this is where I feel that when we talk about sort of like the vehicles, like there is a reason why. Um, it's very difficult to, and I shouldn't say this, people run out of gas all the time, but it's very difficult to run out of gas unless you sort like there are reasons as to why that happened, right? Like it's, there's, there's not the gas station in every corner, but there's one in almost every second. But actually on that though, I mean, especially in the lower mainland where you live, there are far more EV chargers than there are gas stations. Oh, so, I mean, that argument really, and that's how, that was one of the first ones we got when we first got the EV. It was like, oh, well, where do you go to charge it? And we looked and, you know, I pulled up a map and, you know, on my phone, it'd be like, these are all the places I can charge it. And then these are the gas stations and there's three. So, I mean, that argument, by the same token, it's like, if you're going to run out of gas, yeah, you have to kind of, like, there's something wrong if you run out of gas. But the same thing, if we, if our battery goes to zero, we did, we screwed something up that time in the same way if you run out of gas. Yeah. And I guess I should sort of clear, I'm not sort of talking about sort of that. It's more on the getting outside of like, yeah, like right now they're, they're across at the uh, shopping center. They're putting in a Tesla charging station. Um, like they've taken over like almost a dozen spots. There'll be chargers there. Like we're seeing more and more of them. like in the city of Vancouver. Yeah. There's a plug everywhere. It's when you start, I think getting out and that's where like the focus has been, I feel in, it's, it's not been consistent. I'm thinking just sort of you know, provincially, but we had, uh, my wife and I, we went on to, to Alberta on a road trip this summer and she had made a comment that we didn't see many EVs that didn't have a British Columbia license plate there. <laughs> we probably shouldn't get into Alberta on this podcast though. We, yeah, that's probably not where we want to go. But like, as this is sort of to, to that point, here, we're almost lucky in British Columbia, if we start to think beyond, and I wouldn't say we're all that well off. And I mean, we're talking about one topic about the context of EVs, um, but it's just, I think, you know, the provincial government is making decisions, trying to please too many people. I actually, 
I would almost infer they're making decisions based on job security. That's I, I understand. That's a difficult thing you have in government. Your job security is as good as the number of people who choose to cast a vote for you or are willing to go and cast a vote for you. Um, someone actually on Twitter had mentioned that, you know, at what point does someone go in and create a party called does not apply and run under that banner? Mm. Because how many people would see that as the name of the party? Oh yeah. does not apply. I'm voting for does not apply. So the part that blows my mind kind of is, okay, there's a story from 1930. Like the story came out in the 1930s and it's a story of two parents and they're scientists and they go to the council and they tell the council, the world's going to blow up. And we can stop that, but the world's going to blow up. And the council says, no, 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 you, you can't. We don't believe you, whatever, forget it. And so they go home and they put their baby in a rocket ship and they send him to Earth. Maybe they don't send him to Earth, but they send him off his, their planet. Planet blows up. He ends up on Earth. This is a story from the 1930s. Maybe a couple of you would have heard about it. But there are solid parallels to modern day. Mm. I mean, this is almost 100 years later and here we are. That is nerdy. I got the reference. The moment, <laughs> the moment you said two scientists and they send their, their child on a rocket. I'm like, and, uh, little did they know at the time, but the, uh, the sun, uh, prov- amplifies the, the child's, uh, <laughs> experience. <laughs> Had to get back to the nerdy. There you go. But no, I think that's, that's a great parallel is that, yeah, it's like, Hey, this is going to happen though. We don't believe you. Or it's that, yeah, we believe you, but that's tomorrow's problem. I, tomorrow was yesterday. Tomorrow was many, many, many yesterdays. Tomorrow was when we were the ki- the age that our kids now are. Or, you know, yeah, I mean, as a teenager, I was aware of this. And that's, you know, a different century now. It's, yeah, it's, uh, you just run out of words. And so I think seeing people... Seeing people rage, seeing people get out there and seeing people protest and seeing people do what they have to do. I mean, it, there comes a point where that's, yeah, that's the only thing you can do. Yeah. The, the struggle is the, the inflection point of when that actually becomes the, no, I don't want to say the the opinion of the majority, because that is completely wrong. The majority is not the one that speaks up, right? Like we, when we look at our sort of political system here in North America, the majority is the silent part and it's, it's unfortunate, but that needs to change. And Yeah, and I'm, I I don't know how to solve that. I no, and there isn't one because I mean the political system is that the majority keeps the power that they have, and in order to keep the power that they have, they don't want that system to change. So if you don't have the system to change, then that's yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like our our system is set up because I was going to the back to the job security part. A government in power wants to stay in power. Right? I mean, they're they're wanting to govern, rightly, wrongly, how well they do. Every so often we in our society get to go and say, yes, I am happy enough with your performance to say you should keep your job. The difficulty though, is that that system is built on the fact that the majority doesn't speak up or, and 
it's not necessarily in the interest of the party that's governing to allow it. Cause that, that, that group that's on sale lot, I don't know what, the, if they like me, I don't know what they're feeling because they're not saying a whole lot. So why one would I go and find a way to empower them to actually say what's up? Then on top of it, we have the system as we have to not necessarily ensure that of those, if let's say a majority were to show up. And I mean, I guess I should qualify this in our most recent provincial election and our federal elections, um, more people voted than those who did not based on who is eligible. So you, you know, okay, Chris, your majority argument's wrong. Well, if you actually look at the numbers, the people who didn't vote, they won. And there's actually in our, even in our system, if it was a, you don't cast a vote was, does not apply. The does not apply party won many seats. They actually might be the official opposition for all I know, but our system then goes and takes this group, this subset that did express, and you don't necessarily have to get a majority to win. And so it feels to me that there are many strong voices that get taken out of the picture because our system doesn't allow for it under this guise that, Oh, we don't want extremism. Honestly, if our society was that extreme, there's a bigger problem than the, those who can't have those voices, having them. I don't understand the argument there. I mean, it's not a political podcast. It's meant to be two nerdy dads. I just, I start thinking about the, the world as it is for baby force. And I would love for her to be able to express her voice in a way that was more powerful than mine is today. Agreed. And a way that she can express that voice and not get the backlash and misogyny and every other nasty thing that comes through social media when someone who happens to identify as female raises their voice. So yeah, those things are very much always on my mind. And um, I don't know the answer for that one either, because you want to be optimistic about humanity, but it's if you just judge from social media, it's really hard to sometimes. You know, it, we're just going all over the place here. Yeah, my fault. we've been off for a month. You know, we're just kind of indirect. But uh, it feels to me that there was a box that we lifted the lid on. And I think there is a fair number of us that would prefer to put the lid back on the box, but can't accept that it's too late. So now it's okay. Does that box need to exist? Can we go in and empower an entire, you know, it's like, think outside the box. I think that's what ultimately needs to occur. And also just to evolve. I mean, and to go back to the nerdy, there's so many examples of, you know, the things from our childhood, the things from this, the things they come back and people are, people complain about them because they're not exactly as you remembered it as a child, or you see fireworks or something that has a adverse effect, you know, for here in BC, where we have the province on fire for three months of the year. And then people who want to do fireworks. And when they're told, no, they're like, but you're wrecking my childhood, man. We loved fireworks when we were kids. It's like, yeah, okay. I loved fireworks when I was a kid too. But we have to look at these things and say, you know, at this point in time, this isn't the brightest move for our world. So we can do that in other ways or and we, we have to evolve. We have to move on with those things. And it can't just be, I really loved this when I was 10 and I want it to happen forever because that's not how things work. And if that is the way things work, then our kids are screwed. Well, actually, fireworks is a great example because we went through Halloween and then um, 
where we live now, Diwali was very present in our, our community and there were fireworks. Baby force, she she loves them from a distance. Sure. Right? Like and I I you know, just that sort of that awe that that you see in her face. I I I thrive off of that. And I would imagine my parents had the same experience with me. And I love fireworks, but then I having reached this point in my life, look at them and am willing to accept that we don't necessarily need to go down to the store, collect as many as we can, shoot them off in all sorts of different directions, all which way. I mean, there are ways that I think we could have a controlled experience that provides that, 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 you know, experience we had as kids, but one that's done in a safe fashion. Yeah. And I'm never going to rant with the kids of today. I don't, I, I hate that whole argument, but I mean, when I was a kid, when we were kids, we went out and we bought, you know, we got them from wherever we could, the dirty little corner store that, and we would go out, we'd have our pockets full of firecrackers and all of that crap. And we would go out and we would find the neighbor that you didn't like. You'd go and you'd try to blow up his mailbox or something. And we were, I mean, I was never a bad kid, but we, even as a good kid, we did those stupid things. So, I mean, when we've, we've talked about yeah. that, like, you know, just, you know, whether you were a bad kid, like you don't have to be a bad kid to do bad things. No. Right. Like, I mean, I remember walking around elementary school because firecrackers, you could always find them. And, you know, I'd be, you know, I had just an eye. I could find all the ones that just got dropped or left or didn't explode. And I had apparently the, the skill to rewick them, which honestly, considering the number of things that I used to do with these, I'm surprised one, I made it to the age that I am today. And two, that no one that I know or had empowered through my, you know, expertise um, ran into their own trouble. But you know, I look back at that now. It's like, okay, I did it. Um, I made it. I think it's luck. I, I honestly look at it. It's like, you know, it's like youth growing up, not wearing a helmet. I wear a helmet now. Right? Like, As someone who fell on their head know, recently, wear a helmet. I can tell you that. But you know what I mean? Like there, there are things like, um, it, it's just, I think we can evolve. Just because of the way it once was doesn't mean it has to be the way it will be today. It doesn't take away like the, oh, kids these days, to your point. There will always be kids these days. Yes. They are going to benefit from what it is that we provide, but they're also going to, unfortunately, be punished by what it is that we we don't do or possibly do. It's the generational evolution. It's just where I think... I feel there are many people who don't understand that that responsibility falls to us. And I mean, we don't have to be responsible about it, but that's still a responsibility to abdicate that. Yeah. And it's one of the most important things we can abdicate in our lives. So, I mean, at this point, that is, that is it. We should probably jump off the really serious note for a little bit and maybe switch over to something nerdy. Yeah. I, I I abdicate responsibility by being nerdy all the time. There you go. I've just I recently started to uh, do this hundred days of code program. Uh-huh. Um, I'm actually trying to teach myself uh, Python as a coding okay. language. Um, this was a sort of a pandemic thing, and that I picked up. I decided that I wanted to. Uh, I saw a need. Um, I had a community that I needed essentially a bot to help sort of funnel information in it too. Um, 
I couldn't find something that quite worked for what it was I was wanting. And so I decided, Hey, why don't I go look in to, to build my own? Uh, and then I learned, um, quickly it's going to take some time and effort. I didn't have the effort, the time I had time, but now that's sort of changed. But we talked about, I think this, uh, just before the start of the summer, I really want my daughter to be exposed to STEM. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the ways that I can do that is by exposing myself to that experience so that I can be supportive. I mean, she's not interested, so be it. But I do see indications that she's interested in trade. And so I've done this, started this course, hundred days. It's like lessons are like an hour to two a day and series of different topics. So it's been pretty cool. And I've, I got to code a, a rock, paper, scissors nice. game yesterday. Yep. I thought it was pretty cool. And then baby force she's like, what's this? I'm like, it's rock, paper, scissors. She's like, how do you play that? And I showed her and she's like, so rock always wins. <laughs> Not if paper covers it up, but rock is heavier. And I mean, I, it's hard to argue with her logic. Yeah, no, her logic's right. There is no logic for that game, really. But uh, yeah, I I totally get that. And I mean, coming into the pandemic myself, I'd been on two little tear streaks. One was Duolingo, doing lots of Duolingo. And so that's actually been really great because I find myself much more fluent in Norwegian of all things than I ever have been before. Which I'll tell you about Norwegian. It's one of the most useless languages on earth to know. I mean, it's great when you're in Norway, but if you're not in Norway, it, it doesn't. You don't need it. It really. And also, the one of my one of my all our Norwegian yeah. Sorry to my, to my family right that's listening to, to us in Norway right now. I apologize in advance. You know, I'll talk to you anytime. And uh, yeah, and then the other thing was yeah, my son is very was very into the coding, and my daughter has actually gotten quite into it now too. And we've sort of encouraged that all along the way as much as we could with various. Various programs, various different things, um, but we were doing an app on the Apple system that was uh, called Mimo, and so he started that up, and then I started up for him because yeah, just get my mind going. And I mean, I did HTML twelve or fifteen years ago, and uh, hadn't really done any programming since then. So I also got into the Python, and suddenly I was using parts of my brain that I hadn't used before, and also that whole thing about you need to have a sort of basis in it to be able to help them as Best you, as best you can. I mean, an example of that, we ran, we went out today and there's a local, a local kid, 14 years old, and he's a woodworker and he makes these fabulous bowls. And so we saw them on Instagram. And so my wife wanted to go and get one of these bowls. So we just drove down there today and got that. Now he's a homeschool kid. And basically his dad decided that he was going to get a lathe and do this project. And and his dad didn't ever actually end up doing the project. So the kid looked at the lab and said, well, I could use that. And so he watched YouTube and he watched YouTube videos until he figured out how to use the lab, lab exactly. And he's upgraded his system since then. But now he's making this fabulous bowls. And I mean, we went there today and bought almost 200 bucks worth of stuff from him. So, I mean, hey, that's a, that's a good good thing for him to have. And suddenly he's got his own business at 14 and making more money than I ever did on my paper well, route. Like, so, yeah, I mean, I... I look back at my youth. I don't fault my parents no. at all. I mean, it, cause it, it, I had a paper route. I, they, they were actually the ones that almost sort of forced me to get into the workforce, not because, Hey, you need to go get a job and earn your keep. It was, they wanted me to essentially learn life experiences so that when it was time for me to sort of 
become an adult, if and when that were to ever occur, I'm still waiting, I understood some of the basics that doesn't necessarily get covered in school. But I look back now and I think my, you know, baby Forrest were to be able to learn how to do something that she loves to do and understand how to run a business at 14. I mean, it doesn't have to be um, a next, you know, zillion dollar idea. It's about finding something you love to do and being able to almost put your stamp on it. Yeah. And yeah, so we have to kind of reassess what our thoughts of what is important in life is. And so, I mean, for this kid, that's what he's doing right now. And he's 14, he's got these skills and he's got this, you know, all of that happening. And I hope that my son, I mean, my son's totally into computers and into, he can build his, he's into circuit boards and soldering circuits and all of the stuff. And I mean, he's nine. He has a much better comprehension of any of that than I ever did when I was nine. And so he has good resources. And so hopefully we can continue to enhance those. And who knows, maybe by the time he's 14, he'll be building robots around the house. We'll see. Well, he'll be, he'll be building the, the next AI. Yeah. Like the, the, you know, the AI that we'll need to help, you know, pull us out of you know, the end of the, the world scenario where we're so darkly taking this podcast. It <laughs> um, Next week on the nerdy dad cast, nothing but happy. Yeah, it, totally. It'll be just be happy, happy, joy, yeah. joy. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that, uh, that the kids are, are, are are doing things that, uh, that are going to, I think, serve them well. I mean, I, I mean, baby force hasn't reached that age where I can sort of say, yeah, it's, this is it. This is, this is the skill that I wish I had at her age, maybe the smile. Yeah. So, I mean, as parents, that's just the most important thing is encouraging whatever interest, no matter what they, no matter if you can see a use for it or not, if they have an interest, you just encourage that and see where they go with it. And they can, they can go to the places that you can't actually imagine because our imaginations are, you know, I had this conversation with my daughter this morning and she said, I, I wish adults were more imaginative. And I thought, well, I have a good imagination, but compared to her, I guess I don't anymore. So yeah, that's, that's fair. I think, you know, I, I actually think there's some truth to what she said. Oh, absolutely. I think it's not that we're not imaginative. I think that our logical brain that we develop and again, I'm not a scientist, so take this with a grain of salt that you would with any podcaster. But I feel that our our logical mind is sometimes the the block to us seeing beyond ourselves. Like I, I when I was a young kid, I used to be able to like tell a tale, like I could tell stories. And now I struggle. There's a part of me like it's like this voice, like coding. I had to code like a choose your own adventure uh, activity. And I spent more time trying to go and put together the tale than actually focus on the code. And then I ran into this problem where I was struggling to execute the code. Why? Because my logical mind was so focused on this that the, I, I, again, it was like there were two competing forces. Really? They didn't need to compete, but I was, I was getting frustrated with myself. Why did you, why did you imagine this? Why did you tell this story? Well, I think it's like anything though. I think it's, we get rusty. Parts get rusty. Imaginations get rusty. And I think you can practice and you can get that back out and you can dust it off because it's certainly still there. So yeah, that's my, that's my Um, message for the end of the episode. 
Well, I was going to say, I actually was going to say one more nerdy thing. Halo Infinite came out, and I, as a, someone who grew up on, on Halo as a game, oh, 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 oh. Next week, let's talk about games. There's some nostalgia there. Um, but uh, as we wrap up our, our show, it's been a month. Maybe we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Get back into our, our regular uh, string of things. Yeah. I'm fully moved I said in. next. I'm no longer. I said next week there, but that's a figurative thing. It's uh, Next week could be any time with the next three months. Yeah. Um, I no longer own two homes. Hooray. Right. So that's good. And uh, you're you're settled. I saw you're building snow people. Yeah. Breaking ice. I didn't talk about it, but I took my right? snowblower out for a run just before the podcast. I have a snowblower. It's awesome. How much noise does that make? It doesn't. It's an electric snowblower. Oh, even better. I'm gonna put up, I'll, put up, I'll show you a video it, later. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's because if I I understand the practicality of the blower systems, but the leaf blowers they use here on Fridays, my goodness, do those things sound like jet engines? Or <laughs> maybe they are. Maybe that's what they are. It, yeah. It wasn't that loud. It was loud, but not that loud. <laughs> um. But, uh, yeah, you can find us online, obviously, nerdydadcast.com, where you can see a secure website that tells you the cake is a lie. <laughs> um, I, I actually think I might get some time to fix that maybe over the course of the holiday season. Um, we'll see. Um, but uh, Facebook.com is just nerdydadcast, and Twitter is at nerdydadcast, where you can obviously find myself and, and John. More John, less Chris. He's He's the guy that that actually checks it more often than I do. I make sure our episodes get tweeted out. I'm good at that. Yes. I, I do see the notifications come up. So if you talk to us, I will certainly talk back or get Chris to, you know, one of us, but please give us a call, give us a line, give us a, you know, tell us what, what we should talk about next time. So we're not just all over the place like this one. Yeah. And also yeah, happy, things, happy things only. <laughs> so on behalf of John, myself, Chris, I ask you to stay nerdy, my friends. Mm-hmm.